Well, people always ask me, you know, what, what, what's the best route? And I say there's so many different routes. Like if you're like me and you can't hold down a job, you want to be entrepreneurial and do your own thing. And, you know, we started small and then I brought on people that would be good partners and team members. And But you could also go and work for a larger company and learn on the job while getting paid. Uh, brokerage is another great way to, to get involved and get started and learn. But yeah, I, I think uh, we were just entrepreneurial and, you know, try to figure out what resources we had and what we lacked and, and went out and got them. And, you know, Bakersfield was where our journey started, but your journey could be, you know, anywhere in any town. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to Weiss Advice. I am your host, as always, Yona Weiss, and I am so happy to be joined today by Keith Wasserman, founder of Gelt. Gelt Inc. So Gelt in Hebrew or, or Yiddish actually means money. So when yep. you're a real estate investor and you got a company called Gelt, then you know they're in the money. Okay. So Keith, just to give you guys a little bit of context, after having found this over 12 years ago, they are currently in 1.6 billion with a B dollars in assets under management, which is a pretty, pretty incredible. They are in the residential, commercial, industrial property space, buying up properties uh, including mobile home parks now all over, uh, mostly the Western half of the United States, but who knows, maybe expanding beyond that. So Keith, there's a lot more to it. We're going to get to a lot more of the uh, what you got going on in your life and your business throughout the podcast, but just like to welcome you. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah. Th- thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it's so, my pleasure. I- yeah. I mean, listen, I, I was first impressed by the name of your company because that's what jumped out when, when I first came across you on LinkedIn a few years ago and uh, just been impressed by the continual growth. I mean, year after year, uh, which is incredible. I don't know if you know this, but I'm on your mailing list, so I get all your... Uh, <laughs> Good. Nice. You get the deal flow. That's I get the all the deal flow, deal flow, all the updates. Awesome, man. No, that's, that's, that's good. So we get all that. But one thing that um, what I love about what you're doing is that, you know, it's not just about business. It's not just about making money and lots of money and having investors and being able to help them create wealth as well. But you guys do a lot of charity, a lot of charity work as well. And that's really part and parcel to your business plan. I mean, the strategy besides for, you know, just regular philanthropy that, you know, hopefully a lot of people are doing, which I believe you stand for, but you've, you started several, you know, uh, organizations or, or things, including the Resident Relief Foundation, which actually I heard of first from a mutual friend of ours, Allison Weiss, no relation, but but I think it's just incredible. Can you tell me a little bit about how that started and, uh, you know, what's driving you behind that? Yeah. So uh, Allison's actually uh, one of the first board members of Resident Relief Foundation. And essentially it's a public nonprofit where we raise money from uh, outside people we do business with, family foundations, other property management companies, um, the for-profit gelt pays for 100% of the overhead. So any monies that go in, go directly out to those in need. And what it is, is we provide rental assistance for people that are at risk of being evicted due to a one-time financial crisis. So essentially, these are good residents that have been paying the rent on time, you know, many, many months. I think it originally was around nine-month criteria. And, um, you know, they hit a hardship, a job loss, some kind of big medical bill. Uh, a gap in uh, some kind of uh, social security payment. There's a lot of different issues that people had. And it was just wrong for us to see, you know, people being ev- evicted due to uh, 
these circumstances because they just needed a little time and a hand up to help them get through these rough parts in their life. And yeah, quite frankly, our average grant's been around 1.6 months of rent. We've helped around 150 to 200 individuals and families nationwide uh, avert eviction, get back on their feet. And in the process, we've provided them with financial literacy courses, other kind of uh, support. My sister is a PhD in psychology, so she helps them with psychological stuff. She works with veterans. We've helped a ton of veterans. And yeah, it's really a win-win-win scenario for the for the landlord who gets to save on the cost of doing an eviction, right. which includes you know the repair and maintenance once the once the tenant moves out, downtime, vacancy on the, the unit, and then the resident obviously doesn't have that you know black mark on their uh, record, and it's hard to get housing once you have a eviction on the record, and and it's really like homelessness prevention in a nutshell. So I feel really good about what we're doing and trying to expand that, and and we're actually actively recruiting more board members. So any of the listeners out there that are passionate about helping others. You know, multifamily has been so good for us that we want to give back in this method. That's awesome. And you guys are based in Los Angeles, but this is potentially, you said this is a nationwide organization? Yeah, nationwide. We've helped renters, you know, across many, many states. Uh, We work with local apartment associations, local uh, third-party management companies, owner-operators. And then the board is very diverse. Uh, People are based uh, all around the country now. It used to be only LA people until COVID hit. and And then we're like, you know what, we're doing all these Zoom meetings and, you know, we're meeting anyway with Zoom. We could just do this virtually. And, and it's actually better having more support from all over because this is a nationwide issue. It's not like, of just course. Normal. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's incredible because as a, as a landlord, I mean, you come across these issues and, you know, having that kind of creative approach where I, I assume this started with your own properties with, with, you know, something coming about, well, we, we need to find a creative solution for this person, you know, who had a, a hardship and then it kind of yeah. springboards into an idea. It was sad. We were in our management offices and Damien specifically, uh, my business partner was the one that was on the property and he was living in the, you know, model units while we were doing all the renovations and due to fair housing, you have to pretty much treat everyone the same. You can't give priority to this person, not this person. So it's strict criteria on, on the process of, you know, for three days you do the notice and then you, you file the eviction. It's a whole process that we have to stick by. So this, this way we could really, you know, identify residents that are not breaking the lease in any other regard. So if someone's, you know, they're doing dealing drugs in their unit, sure. Even though they're, they're, they're collecting, I mean, paying rent, we're, we're not going to help them, but it's, if, right. if it's a responsible person that is abiding by all, you know, the terms of the lease. And um, yeah, we, 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 we've helped so many people and we want to help a lot more. That's awesome. I believe there's probably going to be some people on this on this podcast, some of the listeners that are going to be reaching out because this is such an incredible organization. And, and what you do obviously is an issue that is very common. And unfortunately, uh, with current, uh, you know, ha- things happening, it, yeah. it's making it difficult uh, for everyone across all sides on the landlord side and on the tenant side. Yeah, we're, we're sort of, what do you call it, uh, prioritizing which states we're dealing with now, but some have eviction moratoriums, right. and def- but definitely getting bombarded by a lot of people that are out of work. To, and yeah. it's, a lot of it's temporary, you know, they're going to be back on their feet, but just need a little little more time. And maybe the government assistance hasn't been enough or, you know, there's a lot of different issues. 100%. So take me back a little bit, if you will, right? Indulge me in, uh, you started out in real estate, uh, what was your first deal, first investment that you made? And then, you know, how did that scale? I mean, let, let's just start there. I want to start with the first investment. And then I want to like kind of paint that picture of how you scaled from one unit yeah. or one property to hundreds. So we um, sort of didn't really know exactly what we were doing back in the day. And, <laughs> like most you know, people like, starting. <laughs> yeah, we're still figuring it out, you know, day by day, learning, always be learning. But we, we bought a four unit building 
in a city called Bakersfield, which is two hours north of Los Angeles. And my cousin, who's my business partner, Damien Langieri, came to, you know, with to the opportunity. He gave, he showed me the opportunity. I said, "Where the where in God's name is Bakersfield? People in LA, we, we don't know where Bakersfield is, even though it's not too far. But it's it's a very dynamic city based on oil and agriculture. Um, I think over half a million people in the MSA." And um, yeah, I remember it was the ninth largest city in California, like 39th largest in the United States. So definitely, you know, a substantial place where people live and work. And this was December of 08. You know, prices were really depressed and we were buying, we bought our first building was a four unit building. I remember it like yesterday, uh, 39, uh, 11, Oregon. And um, we, uh, Damien being, a, you know, was able to get an FHA loan. He put only two and a half percent down, in which he borrowed that from a friend because he didn't have any capital. So he borrowed $5,000 for the down payment. And then he uh, got a cash advance on his credit card of $10,000, which he used that to do to do the rehab on the building. So pretty amazing kind of entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, you just got to figure out, out ways to get shit done. And the second fourplex, basically, I put the down payment. Damien got on the loan. This is another REO. Bank-owned property was boarded up and dilapidated. And we came in and breathed new life into it, fixed it up, rented it out. And then the third one, my dad put the down payment on. Damien got on the loan. And after we had three, three of these things, we turned them into performing assets. Uh, really interesting story. We had my dad had a, one of his previous um, uh, attorneys that used to work for him. He has a large law firm. And a gentleman named Monty Silver, who actually lives in Israel, said, I have $200,000. I see what's going on in real estate in the States. I'd like to invest. Do you know of any opportunities? And he, my dad told him about what we were doing. So essentially, we sold 49% of the entity that owned three fourplexes for $200,000 and used that money to buy another three or four fourplexes. And that's sort of how we grew. And then after that, we brought in one family friend who put up the money for 100% of the capital in which they would uh, loan us half of the down payment and at a certain rate of interest. So we would own half the building, they would own half the building, but also without putting any uh, money in because we didn't really have much back then. So right. the first year we bought 15 of these fourplexes uh, and then it took us a full year until December of 09 to when we started putting together formal syndications, grouping investors together. Uh, we bought a 78 unit building called Vernon Vista in Bakersfield. Wow. We cobbled together uh, $1.3 million from eight investors. It was a $3.9 million purchase. And um, yeah, we had to bring in, um, we call them the, the gray hair partners. My father, who helped us qualify for the loans and brought in a lot of the early investors that were family, friends, or clients. Uh, another gentleman who's a mentor now, Adrian Goldstein, had experience running larger multifamily properties for his uh, in-laws. And um, that was the original team. And we started, you know, with this, that 78 unit building and fixed it all up, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars improving it and uh, essentially sold it later on and exchanged and kept that going and kept buying one property at a time, and one market at a time, and, you know, the rest of the history. Wow. I mean, I think it's just incredible. I mean, to anyone listening to this, if you think about it, like someone, you know, some kids, you know, coming out of uh who knows? Oh. Right. Yeah. I mean, and just dump diving in into a time when it was relative. I mean, that was a pretty rough time uh, for, for real estate and yep. to, to kind of just jump in with creative financing. I mean, these are really interesting ways that you you know had to figure out how to get the money you didn't have. So it's not like you had all this money and just like jumped into real estate. These were like really creative solutions. You came up, you found found opportunities. And, and I just think it's incredible because again, Bakersfield for anyone who's from like LA, you think of Bakersfield, it's like in the, think of like the middle of nowhere. Right. But like you said, it is actually a pretty sizable MSA. It's a, um, you know, a growing population mm -hmm. and you found opportunity there. And just, I, I love the fact that you use those creative solutions to just, 
just scale and scale as quickly as you did. Because again, 15 properties in a year, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, people always ask me, you know, what, what, what's the best route? And I say, there's so many different routes. Like if you're like me and you can't hold down a job, you want to be entrepreneurial and do your own thing. And, you know, we started small and then I brought on people that would be good partners and team members. And, but you could also go and work for a larger company and learn on the job while getting paid. Uh, brokerage is another great way to, to get involved and get started and learn. But yeah, I, I think uh, we were just entrepreneurial and, you know, try to figure out what resources we had and what we lacked and, and went out and got them. And, you know, Bakersfield was where our journey started, but your journey could be, you know, anywhere in any town. That's amazing. And you guys weren't living in Bakersfield at the time, were you? No. Uh, so Damien uh, did an owner occupied. He was a freelancer so he could live anywhere. So you, right. as a you got to live in one of the units. Correct, but right. I, I was living in LA at the time and we were driving up to Bakersfield every week, you know, two hours each way. I, uh, I got a speeding ticket one time. So then I found out where all the speed traps were and never, never <laughs> happened again. But uh, yeah, I, I did that drive at least probably 500 times. Yeah. That's incredible. I actually, I, I want, was once in Bakersfield <laughs> and I, I got pulled over also on the way back. from Bakersfield. <laughs> it's the same speed uh, trap. <laughs> on the five or 99. Yeah, it's easy right. to do. But that, that's actually funny. Um, brings back some memories there, but uh, what, you know, what would you say for someone that maybe is, is, you know, thinking about starting in their business and they're looking at someone like you, right? Gelt, you guys, huge assets, right? Tons of properties. You guys are closing. Now you're closing deals, you know, you know, eight figure deals uh, left and right. Nine figure. Again, what? Well, nine figure deals. Nine figure deals now. Yeah. It's, it's look, you got to start somewhere. We are, our thing, we started very small. We, we started with $15,000, you know, which we borrowed. And then like, you know, it, it, Rome wasn't built in a day. I'm a very impatient person, but real estate, like literally every day, you've got to make baby steps. And then, yeah, looking back, it's like, wow, we've accomplished a lot. But I, I guarantee you the next decade is going to be like 10x the previous decade because of the compounding aspect. We right. have compounding knowledge, compounding investor base, compounding relationships. It's um, definitely you got to be at something a, a long time to develop a reputation and, you know, just do do well in business. It, it's not you know, you're going to get rich off one kind of deal. Of course. What would you, what would you think is for you right now, right? In 2021, what's the biggest opportunity for you at right, Gelt, Keith Wasserman, for you right now, where you are in the stage of uh, the business that you're at, what do you see as the biggest opportunity? That's a good question. So the biggest opportunity, I'd say we were at first when COVID hit, we thought there was going to be a repeat of 09, but essentially it's been the opposite. Prices and of 200 unit and up apartment communities, which are the type we buy, have actually increased um, in value. So there's definitely not really any distress kind of opportunities, but we are sort of shifting our strategy in where we used to buy a lot of buildings that were older, built in the 60s, 70s, maybe 80s. Nowadays, those buildings are trading at similar cap rates to buildings built 2000 and newer. And mm -hmm. as long-term holders, we want to you know, buy newer that have less issues and a lot. So we're trading out of a lot of the older buildings doing 1031 exchanges into, into newer buildings. I, I see that as a continuation of what we're doing. We entered the mobile home park space around five years ago when we saw cap rates were a lot higher than multifamily. Now they've compressed tremendously and we actually exited. It's still a great business long-term, but it's hard to scale a syndication business like that. It's good for like a mom and pop where you own and manage your own properties. Uh, there's been no real good third-party property management companies and we're not in the business of really managing. We have third parties manage our apartments. And so it was sort of a, a distraction, but our investors did very well. It was a good experience. And we also bought self-storage portfolio. Uh, we have, we bought one and then a portfolio of eight. So we have 
around 600,000 square feet of self-storage, but we're, we're actually actively aggressively trying to buy more. It's been tough. We've been outbid on everything left and right. That's why you haven't seen us doing many deals, but I'd say uh, we like any real estate that has hundreds of tenants, if not thousands of tenants in, in, in self-storage and where none, no one tenant can really hurt you in terms mm-hmm. of if they stop paying rent or if they vacate, you don't have to deal with any like office. You have all the broker commissions and TI dollars and vacancy and the cash flow is much lumpier. Uh, our investor base is individuals and they like getting consistent cash flow, which you know these these comprise of. And I like mobile homes and self-storage specifically because they have very minimal capex. So when you hold long-term, uh, you don't have to feed it so much compared to uh, like an apartment building where every 10 years you got to really up- upgrade the, the building right. and the interiors and, you know, office and stuff. So I'd say uh, we, we are looking, you know, opportunistically at, at different things. We're entrepreneurial, we're opportunistic. Uh, I don't want to ever be set in one box, but um, that's sort of the strategies of what we're doing now. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, it's, it's nice to see when you're kind of diversifying once you've really understood a certain asset class, then to kind of branch out and diversify and be opportunistic to find those other, other opportunities, other deals yep, coming yep. your way. Um, in terms of opportunistic-ish, you're, that, that's probably not a word, but that's a good blooper. What, I mean, you also have invested in and started a, um, a, Domuso, tell me about this. It's yeah. a company. A financial technology company. So the cool kids, they say fintech. fintech. And essentially, we handle all the rent payments. So we were our first customer. Gal but is the, it, it's, it's prop tech. Wouldn't it be prop tech? Is that more? It's, it's, if you want to be really sexy about it, we're prop tech and fintech. Because we, we, our customers are large property management companies and owner operators that manage and own apartment buildings like Gelt. And Gelt is a customer of Demuso. So essentially, we saw a lot of legacy payment systems that were built on old technology in the late 90s, early 2000s. And none of them had a big market share, really. And we come in with a lot of unique new technology that allows more flexibility for residents in terms of payment options. It makes where we have our customers that are going 100% digital. It's free for the customer. Um, We charge essentially the residents. And uh, yeah, we're we're on a quarter million units, adding 10 to 20,000 units a month. And um, really shaking up the, the the space that was really antiquated. We have a lot of cool products that we're building in the pipeline. Some of the one-off products that we uh, offer that are unique are um, we are the first ones that do mobile check capture. So just like you could take a picture of a check and deposit it into your Bank of America account, you could take a picture of a physical check and it will deposit it into the landlord's account. Some states you are required to be able to accept paper checks. So this way. Uh, you could go to you, the resident could go in the office with their paper check and just scan it and take That's a picture of it. Cool. And then another thing is we're doing, we're the first ones to do um, uh, what do you call it? Certified funds. So instead of going to a bank and getting a cashier's check or money order, we have technology that we could analyze the, the, the resident's checking account essentially and, um, and take on the risk and, and provide the, the, that uh, p- payment for, for the resident to the landlord uh, for a similar cost, but the, the resident doesn't have to go out and waste time and, and money going to get a, a right, a, and there's a lot of checks like move-in payment has to be with uh, certified funds, for example, because if someone moves in with a personal check and it bounces and they're they're in the unit, in a lot of states it's very it takes a lot of time and money to get someone out. So right, um, that that company is really innovative and exciting, and um, yeah, we it's tangential to what we're doing at Go. Yeah, I mean that is that is really innovative. I mean to think again, I think it really couples with what I've heard from you today and, and some of the, the different things that you're doing as a company it's kind of just like a supplement to uh to what you're doing in terms of the, the units you're taking down right the actual properties you're buying having other companies whether it be a nonprofit or whether it be a fintech company that kind of supports 
your overall ecosystem. I think it's just uh, very smart. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Any other things you're working on that, that I don't know about? I mean, obviously running a whole business with, uh, <laughs> you know, thousands of units is one thing, but besides for Demuso and the, you know, the, uh, the happy home communities. Yes. Yeah. So happy homes is sort of sunsetting as we sold uh, seven of the eight parks, I'd say development. We have a bunch of ground up development projects here in LA that are in different phases. Some that we just broke ground on some that we're delivering very soon to the market. So uh, that's really exciting. We only build pretty much locally right now. We are evaluating a couple opportunity zones, uh, developments where we have a lot of our investors have had substantial capital gains and they're looking to park capital right. in, in a tax advantage way. And we, um, we've been, we've, we're doing one ozone deal here in East Hollywood now, but we've been looking at a lot of other sites that really haven't really penciled. We, we want to buy something that makes sense without it being ozone and just being ozone as like the cherry on top. So we're very picky on, on, mm-hmm. on, on the projects we take on for opportunity zone, but we, we uh, are looking to probably raise our first commingled opportunity zone fund uh, for specific projects that, that we're evaluating right now. So um, I'd say that could be in, in the cards. I'd say uh, continuing to buy, you know, large apartment communities, Denver and West, potentially going into new markets. The team's looking at Dallas, for example, as a potential new market. We're pretty market driven. Once we identify a market, we try to get at least a thousand units in each of those markets for like uh, efficiencies and economies of scale. Right. And then, yeah, continue just growing Resident Relief Foundation, trying to get more board members, more support, more engagement there. Very cool. Uh, Yelp VC sort of sunsetting. We've invested in probably around 45 early stage tech startups, some prop tech, but mainly not. And it's, it's sort of been uh, not our core competency. And we had great people running each of those firms as our partner, like talking to the, all the VCs and other mm-hmm. founders and investing. And we pretty much like we're the anchor LP, plus we helped raise the money for it. But both of those funds, it's funny, like the first fund, the gentleman went and started after started his own fund, like, and then the <laughs> second one, he just started his own fund. But we've, we've actually backed their new funds, like, because we wanted to support them and, you know, they're, they're rockstar people. But I think in the future, we'll just invest um, in other people's funds uh, from the VC. So, or, or continue to do like I'm doing some angel investments here and there. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, listen, you diversify uh, those funds. It's great opportunities to explore other type of investment vehicles. I mean, I, I think it's great because when you have your all your eggs in one basket, you know, i.e. real estate, even though you are diversified within that in different markets and in different asset classes, you still, you know, it, it is still um, somewhat contingent on one another. Yeah. I did a sort of a study on where my net worth is. And I think 87% is in real estate. So definitely, you know, I, I'm a big believer in real estate, but it, it's, uh, I, I'm trying to allocate more to the stock market and um, some other alternative investments like VC funds or individual companies, angel investments, um, but, uh, and, and then cash to have oper- cash is sort of like, if a big opportunity arises to jump on quickly and stuff. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's funny because a lot of our listeners, I, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, we've had many guests in the past talk about how pulling all their money out of the stock market uh, because of, uh, you know, the fluctuation of that and real estate is such a better, uh, more stable long-term asset class. But uh, obviously there are different, different uh, strokes for different folks. Yeah. Real estate, it's more illiquid than the stock market, but I think that's actually a good thing because it prevents people from being fearful and yeah. selling like impulsively. You need to sell a building, you know, it takes time to, to get broker opinions of value and then pick your broker and then listing the property for sale and fielding all the offers. It's like at least a 90 day process. So I'd say that's inherently a good thing in my mind. Um, as long as you don't need the money, it's great to invest in real estate because it, 
trains you to hold long-term, which is and if anything in life, I think long, we're big long-term believers holding good companies, holding good um, pieces of real estate, holding good friendships and right. you know, marriages, <laughs> and long-term you know, things. So I think, yeah, stock market right now is at an all-time high and stuff, but you know, in five years, it's probably gonna be an all-time high. In 10 years, it's gonna be a new all-time high. What's gonna happen in the next one, two, three years? Uh, like my mentor always says, it, it could be down in value, probably will even, but in the, in the future, like in real estate, the prices are gonna be higher, the cash flow is gonna be higher. It's just you have to withstand the, the the rocky you know periods, which we're sort of going through right now. For sure, uh, that's that's good to hear. Well, Keith, I want to kind of transition now into the final segment of our show. It's called the Final Four, and these are four questions that I ask all of my guests. And the first question for you is, what is the worst job that you ever had? So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say there's been two jobs. I I've never really had a real J O B job. I couldn't even spell it on one podcast. <laughs> my, my wife was making fun of me, but I literally, my dad wanted me to uh, work for a well-known developer here in LA. That's a personal friend. And I went to the office and they had me like filing paperwork, which was not beneath me at all, but I didn't want to do it for someone else. So literally I left at lunchtime and my dad was like, what that you couldn't even make it to the rest of the end of the day. And I went and back the next day and, and or called, I think I called the, the gentleman that ran the shop and he was totally understanding. He's like, I'm, I was the same way. Once uh, you're ready to start doing your own deals, give me a call and, you know, maybe we can do something together. And this was a prolific developer here in LA. He, he's, he's since passed. His name was Joel, Jonah Goldrich, but uh, Goldrich and Kess was the firm's name. But we did later on uh, invest in properties together. And then he started investing his grandchildren's money in our deals and stuff. So I'd say it did go full circle. And then the other job I had, I think one summer during college, I was folding clothes at Abercrombie in the back and I kept hearing the same music over and over and it drove me a little sugar. So I think uh, I, I got rid, I dropped that job really quickly. Got the free clothes and then, and then said, sayonara. <laughs> oh man, that's, that's funny. Well, I love the story about the, you know, the full circle with that first uh, job that you left during the half day, because that that's really incredible. Um, yeah. It really goes to show you, you know, if, if just follow your heart, follow your gut and, you know, see where it takes you. Yeah. Second, second question for you. What is a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Oh, uh, that was a harder one I was thinking about when I saw the questions. I love just the entrepreneurial journeys, the stories and seeing it's not just a straight line up. So I'd say like Shoe Dog by Phil mm-hmm. Knight was a great one, really inspiring and saw the inner workings of the beginnings of Nike. And right now, like, you know, I, I just thought Nike, like I didn't know any of the beginnings and all the trail trials and tribulations and all the, how it almost went out of business multiple times. And like, I think every entrepreneur's journey is like that. There's no straight up thing. Like, you know, even Gelt in our early days, we had a deal that lost money and we had a, we, we didn't have to, but we came out of our pocket to uh, give the investor back the money to make him full. So we could say proudly that we've never lost any capital for any investor. So we've had our lumps, you know, we, we've, we've brought properties where we had you know, a, a material issue that we didn't know about with plumbing and stuff. We had to take care of it. That cost us a lot of money. And mm. there's no, like, everything's gonna be smooth sailing. There's gonna be bumps along the road. So I'd say that was a really good book. That was eye opening to me. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we, I think, I believe someone mentioned that once and after over a hundred episodes, I've, I, I usually tend to remember every answer that everyone says, but for some reason, I can't remember who said shoe dog before. Uh, I'll come, I'll come to it. Anyways, that's a great answer. We're going to put that in the show notes, but it, it's good for me because it, it just leaves one less uh, book on the book list. That's never ending because <laughs> it's already yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. One uh, question. Third question we have is what is a skill or talent that you would like to learn? I'd say patience. Uh, I'm very impatient, even though, you know, looking back, you know, we've done a lot in 12 years, but I think short-term being impatient is okay, but having long-term patience and 
good things take time. So I, I'd like to really, you know, have pay, more patience. Okay. Excellent answer. Okay. Well then, uh, the reason we asked this question is so that our guests can take it upon themselves to start that. So we're going to encourage you to, to find a way today to see how you can have more patience and, you know, being a father, that helps a lot. Oh. <laughs> father of three children under five, definitely, uh, learning patience that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, wait till, wait, wait till they're teenagers. <laughs> You'll have to learn a lot of patience. I have two teenagers. Oh man. But uh, yeah, it's a handful. Fourth and final question. What does success mean to you? Um, yeah, I think success has changed in my eyes a lot. I originally thought it was just having a lot of money and now success, real success, I think is creating, giving back, you know, a successful life for me would be to impact and empower a lot of people, see my family being healthy and happy and, and, you know, raising, you know, great neshamas and, you know, children with good souls. And I think the legacy would be to have created, you know, created buildings, created, you know, the nonprofit just to create and, you know, by creating your building and building opportunities for others and giving back. And so I just say create creating is the, is the main word here. That's awesome. Yeah. And that definitely is one of the highest forms of, uh, you know, of pleasure is, uh, we've, we've mentioned this before, but yeah, creativity is really just, it's, it's an expression of really godliness. It's an expression of, of giving back and, and helping others. So I appreciate you, uh, Keith, for taking the time today. How can our listeners find you or reach out to you if they, if they choose to? Yeah, I'd say, uh, I'm really active on Twitter is the best way. It's just Keith underscore Wasserman. You could also just shoot me an email. It's Keith at geltinc.com. I'm always available. Uh, those are the two best ways to, to reach out to me, I'd say. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome, Keith. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time today. Uh, it's really been a pleasure getting to know a little more about your story, about all you guys got going on. Thanks for having me on the show. Good stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, to our listeners, remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.